So nice to be with everyone. And uh, some of the devotees are at Madhavan at, with uh, Dharaji Gopal and Padmanabh Marsh conducting a retreat there. Uh, Japa retreat and that, whoops, in conjunction with the upcoming Janmastami festival of Aldi Punim and, uh, and Janmastami. And uh, Marjorie asked me to speak on Vandanam um, uh, prayer. So um, we'll say a few words about that. Uh, first, uh, in doing so, let us offer our Nandavat uh, Pranam to Dr. Parlad, Parlad Maharaj Kijai. From Parlad Maharaj, we get the nine. Principal Angus of Bhakti, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Parasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani Vedanam. <clears throat> Navalakshan Bhakti, this ninefold bhakti, which he said was the best thing that he learned um, when asked by his father, which was quite a, his, his reply, which turned out to be quite a, a surprise, excuse me, to to his father because he was not being taught as far as he knew um, such things in school that he learned them from from nard in the womb who spoke bhagavatam to his mother with the intention of extending the blessing to the child within the womb so Prahlad, a very special personality these nine um Principal Angas of Bhakti are very central to our practice. Um, with regard to Gaur Leela, um, the nine islands or petals on the lotus of Navadweep are um, each of them represents one of these different um, Angas. So today we speak a little bit about Vandanam. And as I said, we begin by offering our regard to Prahlad Maharaj, <clears throat> one of the Mahajans. Um, and we find that um, as with the other of these principal Angas, there are examples of great devotees who are said to have become uh, perfect through a particular anga, so Gudev, perfect through kirtan, his particular type of kirtan, I mean the Bhagavad narrative, Prahlad Maharaj, excuse me, uh, Parikshit Maharaj, who heard from Sukadev Goswami, um, an example of perfection through, through Shravanam, so Shravanam, Kirtanam, and similarly with, uh, with Vandanam, uh, Rupa Goswami has given examples of all of these uh, of devotees who have become perfect by each of these angas. So with regard to Vandanam, the example is Akrura. <clears throat> Akrura was like an uncle of Krishna from Mathura. <clears throat> and um, he was uh, sent to Mathura, excuse me, from Mathura to Vrindavan by Kamsa to bring Krishna and Balaram um, after they had been invited by Kamsa to participate in a uh, wrestling match. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Akur, of course, was a devotee, but Kamsa was the ruler, and um, he was eager to meet Krishna and Balaram and bring them there, of course, um, with, with the hopes that um, they'd be successful, which seemed um, unlikely, uh, successful or victorious in, uh, in the wrestling match. It seemed unlikely because the opponents, Chandra and Mustika, were like world wrestling champions, if you will. And these were just boys, young boys, barely had, had turned adolescents. Their, their experience with wrestling was amongst one another, which was mostly um, a lot of bragging on one another's parts and so forth. And all of that um, in play. That said, of course, Krishna was successful um, in defeating various of the of, of Kamsa's assassins. Um, so, in terms of the Aishvarya, it was assured that he would be successful. From the Madhuri perspective, there was some some doubt to be sure. At any rate, uh, Akura was overwhelmed with the opportunity to to meet. Christian Balaram, he went, and he had the, um, in one sense, unfortunate task of bringing Krishna and Balaram to Mathura, to this wrestling match where the wrestlers, at least from the naked eye, were unmatched. Hmm. Um, but besides that, what, for whatever reason, hmm, he was bringing them to Mathura, he was bringing them out of Vrindavan in this was a cause of great distress for the inhabitants and the gopis uh, in particular. Hmm. Gopis here refers to the, of course, the young Kishoris, the lovers of Krishna, and the elderly gopis as well, as well each of whom had to remain uh, behind. Whereas the, some elder cowherd men and cowherd boyfriends of Krishna, they could accompany him. Hmm. But it's a very, very, uh, powerful and touching scene as uh, Krishna and Balaram mount the chariot of Akura and head for Vrindavan with gopis prostrating themselves before the, the chariot and so on and so forth, um, weeping and Krishna's heart beating very strongly for them as well. And Akura, again, had the uncomfortable kind of task, if you will, of, of being the the uh, the driver um he had to swerve around the gopis <laughs> if you will who were like prostrating themselves as i said before the chariot and started to follow after him um as well so he went in a roundabout way goward boys followed behind at first walking and then they hopped onto the to the wagons that had been um arranged by the elderly coward men to accompany Krishna uh, uh, Balaram to for the event. And um, the chariot left, of course, before everything was prepared and it picked up the boys along the way. But the, the point is here that the chariot was off to itself, so to speak, with just Krishna and Balaram and Akura heading at lightning speed towards Mathura, but in a roundabout way, 
um, if the gopis were to continue to follow and take the straight route, they wouldn't find them. Um, and so for that reason, he went in an indirect route. And for that reason, they arrived at midday at uh, what was previously referred to as Anandatirtha and later became known as a Kruvagat. Mm -hmm. um, because of the famous incident during the bathing of uh, Akrura, that uh, the epiphany that he experienced that resulted in his prayers. Mm -hmm. So when they, the, the story goes, of course, as, as they arrived in, um, at Akurugat, it happened to be midday because it, it took a long time to get there given the, given the uh, roundabout way in which um, Akura led the chariot. And noontime, of course, is a time for prayer, as is dawn and as is, is dusk. This, these, are the, these are the three sundiums, the three connections between morning and day, between day and um, morning and afternoon, and between the end of the afternoon and the, and the, uh, and the nighttime. Times to which typically in the culture would be for sort of sitting and remembering what my day is for, what my purpose is and so forth. And invoking um, the, uh, the, the Gayatri Mantra typically. So um, it was a time for Akura to conduct his worship of his deity. Meanwhile, he's driving the chariot of his deity, but he, he didn't have a clear and perfect understanding of the connection of Krishna and Balaram and his deity, God, Narayan. Mm -hmm. Although he was in love with Krishna and, and uh, attracted to him and so on and so forth, this kind of a philosophical connection was not, um, not been fully, um, it was not fully in place. So he, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I thought I might have lost. Excuse me. No. So he stopped the chariot there, and um, and Krishna and Balaram dismounted, and they went and performed achman in the Jamuna, and uh, and Akura then asked their permission uh, to bathe, um, and, and take a moment to uh, invoke his. Uh, his, his mantra and observe his, you know, religious um, um, rite ritual, which was not something that Krishna and Arjun, excuse me, Krishna and Balaram um, were accustomed to doing because as at this as at this point in Lila, they had not received the sacred thread, they had not lived at the feet of. Uh, their guru and the guru cool and so forth. This was something that was to come uh, later on. So typically then, for example, in this regard, the deities of Krishna and Balaram that we worship um, would typically not be ornamented, if you will, with the, with the Brahmin thread, which, was, which is a Mathura Leela. And we worship them in terms of the Braj Leela, freezing the Leela, as I sometimes say, at this point where in the Prakatli, the Krishna goes to Mathura, he doesn't go there, he stopped there, and just the dazed 
that precede that, days like that continue in eternity, right? So, so Krishna didn't, um, and Balaram didn't um, perform a Gayatri. It wasn't something that they were uh, had been um, and learned how to do. They weren't initiated, but um, they honored uh, the religious sensibilities, of course, of Akura and um, with their permission, whom he was carrying, um, he proceeded to the to the to the uh, to the Jumuna at this auspicious place, and uh, began to bathe. He had secured Krishna and Balaram on the chariot, um, and um, was concerned uh, about their protection. Uh, so kind of strapped them in, if you will, fastened their seat belts on the chariot, and then. Uh, while having bathed, while chanting his mantra, to his astonishment, he saw Krishna and Balaram bathing. And so he thought, I, mean, I just put them on the chariot. And so how can they be uh, here bathing? Something happened. So he went back to the chariot and there they were seated on the chariot. So he's that much more confused, as you can imagine, and uh, proceeded back to the to the god, to the bathing god, to try to understand the situation. And there, again, he saw Krishna and the Balaram, but he saw them in the form of Vishnu and Anantasesh. Vishnu seated on the couch of Anantasesh. And this um, majestic manifestation um, of his deity, Vishnu, accompanied by Ananta, and the fact that they, as it appeared, were non different from Krishna Balaram was overwhelming uh, to him, uh, overwhelming, as you can imagine. So having had uh, this experience, um, he was bathing, I should say, also not only with the, with the desire to perform the, the religious uh, uh, ritual, appropriate for the time and so forth, but also with a feeling that uh, he had offended the, the gopis. Hmm? And what could he do? I mean, this was his task. He was uh, uh, commissioned to bring Krishna and Balaram by the king uh, to, uh, to Mathura, but he felt that he had offended the gopis in the, in, in the process. And for this reason as well, um, that being in his heart, he wanted to bathe in the in the Jamuna at an auspicious time and try to um, purify himself from any offense that he may have um, committed. He was pretty overwhelmed, excuse me, by his experience of the Brajbasis and their feelings of separation, especially as that those exhibited by by the by the young gopis. <clears throat> and so uh, this was his, his uh, majestic experience. The place became noted from thereafter as Akura got. It's the same place that uh, that Krishna revealed to the Brajbasis um, um, what they would be in their next life um, when they asked. So it's anyway an auspicious place. But from that. And having had that epiphany, then Kura offers 
um, a chapter, if you will, of prayers, the 40th chapter of the 10th canto. And um, of course, after the prayers, Krishna says, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> you're my uncle uh, and, uh, and, and you're calling me all these things absorbed in, in, in Madhuri and the sweetness of his, um, his human-like um, Leela. Uh, his resistance, if you will, or his response is something like the mental response that, that Brahma perceived from Krishna when he was offering his prayers. Mm -hmm. So anyway, these, uh, this is the uh, famous uh, incident in which uh, Kuru is said to have attained full perfection. I suppose we could say his perfection was to make, uh, uh, to solidify in his own realization, the connection between his deity and Krishna, uh, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm. The uh, the fact that uh, that Akura was feeling unqualified and um, an offender, having seen the reaction of the um, of the of the Braj Gopis, and you know trying to digest that and so forth, Akura also stands out in this regard as an example of someone who feels perhaps unfit to render personal service um, to the deity. Archanam is another anga of bhakti and um, it involves uh, you know, personal service to the Lord in the form of his um, Archa avatar, the Archa Vigraha, the deity manifestation. Um, and there are certain uh, qualifications for that. Of course, one has to receive the mantra and so forth, their procedures, um, and um, you know, cleanliness is, is, a, is a concern, to, uh, uh, to be on time is a concern, to, um, recitation of various mantras and so forth, and of course, paying respects, obeisances. These are all uh, parts uh, of, of, of Archanam. So um, in effect, the... Um, in effect, the, I would say that, uh, and Jesus has made this point, the essence of Archanam comes down to Namaskar, so, offering uh, pranam to uh, to the deity, uh, and if we extract that out, that offering of pranam to the deity unto itself, this is essentially what vandanam uh, consists of. Therefore, Jiva Goswami has made the point: some people uh, feel themselves unqualified do personal service, and therefore they resort to vandanam. And just in, 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 in an essential sense of what vandanam constitutes, they offer their pranam, their dandavat pranam uh, to the deity. Perhaps at some distance, we see this in, 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 in for example, in um, Haridas Thakur in Gaurlila. He felt unfit to sometimes even to come before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to speak of going in the temple, 
of Jagannath um, engaging in Archanam. Um, so he would uh, uh, pay respects even uh, from a distance. But it's thought, um, given the power of, hold on a second. Given the power of Vandanam, that this in itself is uh, complete and all the results that one can derive from Archanam, one can derive from this um, alone. So we see anyway, to some extent, that this um, same idea is found in the Leela that I'm describing. Um, and that Akura felt impure, unqualified. He, 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 he bathed in the river and um, he resorted to, to uh, Vandanam. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea that uh, as to the efficacy of Vandanam in the form of offering uh, pranam, bowing down, um, uh, uh, the, the, the idea of, of uh, the efficacy of this as an act of devotion unto itself is underscored in the Bhagavatam, as some of you may be aware, uh, in, uh, in Brahma's prayers, in the eighth prayer of his 30-some um, prayers at the uh, commencement of the Brahma Vimoha Lila, Brahma offers his prayers. And um, there he makes this very point in a famous verse. Um, a verse that was that Pujapachita Marsha liked to render poetically the environment is friendly. The verse goes something like this Tate Nukampam Susumikshamanu, Bunjana Evatmakritam Bibakam, Hridvagvapu Biridan Namaste, Jibeta Yumutipode, Sadaya Bak. So, how this is an example of what we're talking about, um, we'll, we'll try to explain. Uh, briefly. Here the verse says jiveta. Jiveta means one's life. So it's speaking of a, of a type of livelihood. Hmm? And that uh, livelihood or that occupation, if you will, or preoccupation uh, is, is one of, of bhakti that is characterized. So a life of bhakti um, staying the course if you will, a life of bhakti, staying the course uh, um, and in the context of that, um, tolerating or even accepting as favorable for, uh, the in, in terms of the pursuit of one's goal um, to attain Krishna praying, for example, um, Everything that happens to me, whether it be good from a material point of view or bad. Of course, we're getting good and bad results uh, from our Prabhu karma that's gradually being um, extinguished. We say that bhakti extinguishes even the Prabhu karma, which is one of the uh, extraordinary uh, characteristics of bhakti and distinguishes it as such from jnana. By jnana, we can 
uh, a brute avidya ignorance, uh, which is the source of our whole material entanglement. But once that entanglement has been set in, in motion, then that which is playing itself out in the present, the present manifest karma needs to play itself out and unwind, if you will. Um, um, even after ignorance, the root of all that is uprooted. Um, but bhakti, by contrast, can do away with even the manifest karma, which jnana unto itself cannot. The jivan mukta, jivan mukti is a term uh, that, or that refers to it. It's a term that's largely invoked by jnanis in pursuit of sayuja mukti, um, merging with Brahman. Uh, the jivan mukta is thought to be a person who has uprooted ignorance and is witnessing the uh, gradual uh, playing out of his or her prabhu karma without uh, reacting to it. This is, um, this is not something that's accepted in the devotional school as, uh, as being what the jnanis portrayed to be. Uh, for example, the term jivan mukti is twice invoked in Chaitanya Charitamrita in relation to a famous verse from the second chapter of the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, where it is said that, uh, um, what is that verse? There are people. Yeah, there are there are these persons who think that they're liberated, but their intelligence is not pure. Abhishuda Buddhaya. Abhishuda Abhishuda. They're they're they don't have uh, pure intelligence, impure intelligence. They're, they're, they're confused, actually. And they think they're liberated, but they're not. They have no regard for bhakti, which is the only way by which one can contain any type of liberation, as Krishna says in the Gita. What does he say there? Um, only by... This maya is insurmountable, like an ocean. You stand on the shore of the ocean and you think of uh, swimming to the other side, even crossing with a boat. Um, seems uh, like an insurmountable journey or going into outer space, how far can you go? Uh, and, um, so to cross over the influence of, of Maya is basically, Krishna says, it's not possible, but but except for by, by my grace. So this is just one of many, many verses that underscore the point that, yes, even you might have a passport and realize that you're not the body. But this is really can, the influence of Satvaguna. It does not give you a visa to enter in to the Paravyom in any form, even into Brahma Sayuja. So without bhakti, it's not possible. And if we disregard bhakti, then Bhagavatam says, from this position, one, uh, one 
false, from even a, a perceived position of liberation in the body, waiting for the rubbed karma to expire, which is not really a position of liberation, from there one falls. Um, so, uh, as I say, the, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas don't uh, look at this idea of Jivan Mukti um, in the way that is often done in the Gyan Marg. And there may be Jivan Muktas of sorts, if you will, this type of person who don't offend Bhakti. And if they don't offend Bhakti and they um, employ Bhakti in their practice, um, then they contain um, their desired goal. Brahma Sahuja, uh, um, merging in, in, in Brahman, which arguably is an incomplete form of liberation because there's no Shakti, no Swarup Shakti manifest there. Bhakti Vinod Thakur describes it as a, some type of a, a kind of an imperfect form of liberation. Um, but at any rate, um, um, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> how we got there, I'm not sure, <laughs> forgive me. Uh, but um, if one um, in one's life, to return to the verse, um, leads a life of bhakti, staying the course, tolerating the um, results, I guess how we got there, of one's past um, 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 as even welcoming it, if you will. We can look at it in a couple ways. Welcoming this uh, prabdha karma um, that bhakti is now digesting. In bhakti, as I said, bhakti can remove the the prabdha karma, gyan cannot, but still it removes the prabdha karma gradually. And Jiva Goswami is giving an example. If you light a string hmm, or a cloth on this end hmm, and you're holding it on this end, well, it's going to burn your fingers. If, at a certain point, you're going to have to let it go. So you can light the cloth and walk away and say, you know, I burned the cloth has been burned up, even though it will take some time you know, to burn the entire cloth once it's on fire. If it's highly flammable, then you can say it's been burnt up. So once the engine of bhakti bestowed is, is uh, turned on, if you will, then uh, we can say the parabdha karma has been destroyed, even though it will take some time to gradually um, destroy, because now you have a, a means to actually do that, whereas Dhyan, by comparison, um, uh, does not have that um, capacity. So this is one way to look at what's described in the verse, that tatenu kampam susamikshamana, having, susamikshamana also means like having seen the, the anukampam, the uh, compassion of Krishna towards his devotees, seen many examples of that. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, through the Leela narratives and so on and so forth, one thinks that, that he's like that. Hmm? He's very compassionate to the devotees. So he will be compassionate uh, towards me or desiring, it can be said here from the verse, that uh, 
that uh, compassion of the Lord. Um, um, uh, the devotee who's leading a life of, in this case, sadhana bhakti, hmm, uh, tolerates or even welcomes, as I say, the results of prabhda karma as they manifest because they're they're manifesting in such a way that they're being they're being terminated uh, by bhakti and and in due course one will be a jivan mukti a jivan mukta in the bhakti sense of the term there's a nice verse from maybe krishna yamala uh, in the tantra that uh, jiva goswami invokes or excuse me rupa goswami invokes in bhakti rasamrita sindhu how's that verse go he says um Anyway, Jivan Mukta Sauchita, he says, Hari um, Bhagati, no, um, uh, one who's. Um, Something with Isa, Yasya Harer, I don't remember the details. Yasya Harer, yeah. Um, anyway, one who's, one who's intelligent mind, intelligence, body, words, and so forth, are fully engaged in Krishna service. He or she is said to be a jivan mukti. So it's a different definition of jivan mukti. So there is a, a, an idea of jivan mukti within Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This is bhava bhakti. Hmm? So for uh, a, a sadhaka hmm, whose goal is bhava bhakti, which the cultivation of will result in, in prema bhakti, that uh, devotee in sadhana bhakti. Um, expresses this type of tolerance, if you will, or even welcoming, to use again, Puja Patrita Marsh's poetic rendering of the verse, the environment is friendly. So whatever's happening to me as a result of my Parabdha Karma, um, it's good for me. Mm -hmm. uh, to take this another step, characteristic of Vishwanath Chakri Thakur, who emphasizes the efficacy of bhakti, uh, underscores it over and over again. He says, karma is finished. There's no, there's no karma. This is the arrangements of Krishna in the sadhaka's life. Hmm? Whatever happens to him or her, this is Krishna's arrangement for their benefit to progress in bhakti. So they lead a life. With this type of disposition, whatever's happening to me, that's arranged by Krishna for my benefit. So I embrace it. I don't have to run away from it. Um, it's good for me. Krishna has arranged it. We can also look at it as kind of a combination of the two. Is it the Prabhu Karma or is it Krishna's mercy? It's the Prabhu Karma, but not the full measure of what would have been the result, but an adjusted result as a result of one's um, dedicating one's life to Krishna. So we can harmonize the two uh, perspectives. It's the karma, it's bhakti, it's, it's, it's both. And so the verse says, relative to the discussion about bandhana, but tenu kaapam susamikshamana bhujane bhatmikritam vipakam. So the vipakam, uh, uh, we're describing these, these, these um, uh, results, good and bad, that uh, we accrue, but we can even have to tolerate the, the good effects. We get an inheritance, 
you don't get carried away by that. Uh, I know <laughs> some devotees who got carried away by their inheritance. They didn't have any desire until they got an inheritance. Um, so um, he says here anyway, Kridbag Bapu Namaste, that tolerating or welcoming such um, with that um, outlook that I've described in a life of bhakti, the devotee from his heart, namaste. So namaste is of course the central idea that we're underscoring and how Jeep Goswami has looked at this verse with regard to Vandana. Hmm? The essence of Vandana again being namaskar. Hmm? And that is to be done, if it's to be done um, in, 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 truly is with the heart, if you will, not just uh, uh, an exercise of, of uh, a calisthenic, right? Of lying down and getting up, um, but uh, with one's heart and with one's words. And so with heart, words and body. So to prostrate oneself and offer respect to, to the deity from one's heart, uh, this is the essence of the namaskar, and that is the essence of Vandanam. And that is very um, easy to do, but very simple, but I should say very simple, but difficult to do, right? And this is characteristic of bhakti overall. It's very simple, but it's difficult to do, given our <laughs> how we've complicated our lives with misconceptions, desires, attachments, and so on and so forth. Um, but there's the point here, there's the great power in that. And the power of this is revealed in the last line of the verse. But just think for a minute how simple this is. Living a life, tol tolerating the uh, goods and bads that, that come our way, not being carried away by them in either uh, instance and being focused just on, um, on this prayerful, you know, uh, uh, disposition and adherence to to um, bhakti sadhana. Um, paying obeisances. Uh, there, there, there used to be, this used to be something that was, we, we hear, for example, the life of the Goswami, Sankhya Purvakanama Gananatibi. They, they chanted a prescribed number of rounds, prescribed number of dandavats to, to Vaishnavas or around to go over that hill, it may be the case where from deity, you know, get up in the morning, go to Artik at one temple, the, the principal temples in Vrindavan were scheduled their Artiks such that you could go to one and then, and then and as it ends, go to the next from Radha Gobinda to Radha Shamsundar to Radha Raman and so on and so forth and spend your whole morning like this, um, just going and paying obeisances to one deity after another. It's a beautiful thing. It's very, very easy to do. It's not complicated. It doesn't require a lot of scholarship. Uh, it's certainly not um, like living in the Himalayas, sleeping on a bed of nails, uh, bathing in the Ganga, at, at Gomuk, at the glacier, you know, up to one's neck in, in the coldest months of the year it's to, to, to tolerate uh, and realize that there's no difference between hot and cold. These are only mental conceptions. Those are very, such uh, austerities, if you will, are very difficult comparatively. This is very beautiful, easy to do, simple to do, but hard to do because it requires um, exercising 
the heart. In Gyan, the exercise of the heart is not called upon to the same extent, right? And the heart is hardened. In the bhakti, it's, it's softened, but we have a hard heart, so it, we have to soften it. It's not easy. It's one thing to um, perform austerities with an idea to become great, uh, uh, powerful, uh, develop cities, become a mukta, become God, as, as it's thought in such uh, uh, some schools. Um, it's, it's, a, it's another thing to be a servant altogether. As I've said before, the latter is a very comprehensive and overwhelming way to do away with the enjoying ego, which is our whole problem. Hmm? Um, simply to stop from taking in the pursuit of mukti as a desire, powers, special powers, um, so on and so forth. Uh, this doesn't call upon one of the same extent, it doesn't have the same power to retire, if you will, the enjoying ego, which is the whole problem in material existence. Therefore, when asked about this, uh, Parikshit Mar by Sukadev, Parikshit Mar said, yeah, gyan is not very effective. You can cut off the bamboo shoots at the ground level, but the roots are still there. So the likelihood that they will grow back is, is, is considerable. Hmm. So he's saying gyan without bhakti will not uh, um, be a solution to the problem of material existence. So, but this, you know, he gives the example. You might start a fire, just like if we drive from here, from Madara to San Francisco in the afternoon, well, the, the, the Bay Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, there'll be a fog there coming over the coming over the city. So you might want to light a fire, do away with the fog because the heat will dissipate the, the condensation, but you could burn down the city. <laughs> in the process, right? And what kind of a fire you'd have to build. But if the sun comes up, it's bright that day on its own, the fog will be dissipated. So bhakti is like this. The sun, it's going to, it, it rises of its, its own accord. If we wait for it to rise, living a life of bhakti, tolerating whatever comes our way and seeing for that matter, even that this is whatever happens is, is good for us, looking at, looking for the silver liner, lining in it all, in it all and just, Paying one's obeisances. Again, this is the essence of Vandana to, to Bhagwan. Then Jibeta Yo Mukti, Jibeta, a life like this, Mukti Pade Sadayabhat. One attains liberation at the feet of Krishna. Here, the ninth and the tenth subjects of the Bhagavatam are contained in the two words Mukti Pade, the ninth subject, which is one of the sheltered subjects of the Bhagavatam, of which there are eight others, uh, uh, is, is mukti. In the words, it was one of the main topics of the Bhagavatam, mukti. Mukti rupam swarupena vastiti. And uh, by contrast to the nine sheltered projects, uh, topics, there's one shelter giving topic, and that is Krishna himself. So he is uh, represented here by the word pade, feet. Hmm? There's feet within mukti. <laughs> or at the feet of someone, mukti is found, as we said. At the feet of Krishna, where you will find bhakti. Hmm? There you will find mukti. Hmm? Bhakti can give mukti, but mukti cannot give bhakti. 
Jivetayo Mukti Pade Sadayabhak. There, the word Dayabhak means that it becomes one's, one becomes the, the heir to, um, to Prem, really. Prem is Pade at the feet of Krishna. Um, uh, and so the point has been made that what do you need to do to, to again stress or emphasize the simplicity of, of bhakti here in the form of one what do you need to do to attain something beyond uh mukti could because you could attain mukti by krishna's grace in the form of sayuja mukti but to attain at the full face of mukti at the feet of bhagavan in service to bhagavan which is what we are really all about that's what the jivas are are for for serving Bhagavan. Um, uh, to uh, anyway, to attain that is is um, huge, and and um, here the verse is saying that. Um, uh, in order to do that, one simply has to debate, live one's life in this way. Just like in order to get your inheritance, you have to live your life. So that's all you have to do. You have to stay alive <laughs> to get your inheritance. Someone will die who's left you an inheritance. And if you, if you stay alive, all you have to do is stay alive and you'll get it. Hmm? So this is what the verse is saying. Just stay alive. But what alive means here is a life of bhakti. Because we could live, breathe, move about, heart could beat, brain could function, and so forth. But from our uh, perspective, if we're not breathing for and thinking about, and our heart is not beating for bhakti, then uh, we're not, we'd be better off dead, especially if the opportunity for bhakti came our way and we didn't take advantage of it. So living means a life uh, in the full sense. Of bhakti, and so again, the simplicity is emphasis. If we stay alive in bhakti, and and simply in a heartfelt way offer our pranam, uh, namaskar to Krishna, then uh, you know, that inheritance which is being held for us, it'll be released. So. Uh, in this way, the simplicity of Vandanam has been um, underscored, and the fact that it is, in, in effect, the essence of Archanam and an, an easy form of Archanam, even for those who are not, who feel themselves, I should say, unqualified for Archanam. The qualifications for Archanam may be overshadowed by the ideas within the Karma Marg of what's required in order to serve the deity to be born as a Brahman and so on. These things don't apply in um, the bhakti understanding of Arjunam. So anyone can be qualified. Certainly Hari Dastakar was qualified to serve the deity. I mentioned him earlier. In fact, indeed, the deity came to him every day. Yaganath came to him every day in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he was certainly qualified to enter the temple, but he didn't feel himself qualified. So uh, uh, Akura didn't feel himself qualified. He felt himself uh, 
he was a you know an instrument in the hands of of Krishna's Leela Shakti, right? To uh, uh, in a stage of uh, unfolding the Leela, looked at from the broader perspective, he's taking Krishna out of Vrindavan. How horrible! But from our point of view, then what's happening is the love of the inhabitants of Vrindavan is being showcased in the form of their separation. Hmm? how they longed for Krishna's to, Krishna to return. And life was never the same for them um, without him. We talked about Balaram's return and so forth in the pitiable condition there in Braj, which he felt and, and experienced personally, being in Braj without Krishna. Hmm, goodness. Of course, in that feeling of his absence in Braj, he's actually more present than he is um, present in any other Leela, like the Matura or the Dwarka Leela. This is a central point. Of course, to go to Vaishnavism, nature of love and separation. But again, as, a, as, a, as an instrument through which this Prakat Leela can unfold and the separation of the inhabitants of Vrindavan can be showcased for us that through good uh, association in, in, in connection with the, the, the Prakat Lila narrative, which is what our life's all about, understanding the Prakat Lila. Krishna came here, he did this. What more significant event could there be other than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu coming? You didn't get it? Let me let me underscore what that was what that was all about. Uh, uh, so this is what our whole life is about, understanding Krishna Lila and through the medium of, of Gaur Lila and the Sadhu Sangha that that has flooded the world with, if you will. Um, or made available in the world. I don't know if it's a flood yet, but it's 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 gradually, uh, hopefully, uh, in, increasing in its force and um, measure. Um, but uh, if we preoccupy ourselves in this way, as a, with the Prakat Lila, then we'll understand. Oh, Akura, he took Krishna out of Vrindavan, and by that, the measure of their love, which is shown to increase in separation or to be sh showcased that much further. If you have something that you love very much and then you lose it, the, the extent to which you love it will be, will be apparent, right? It's said that in union, there is one Krishna. In separation, there, Krishna, there, everywhere is Krishna. Krishna is in one place, standing in front before me. In separation, Krishna is everywhere. Everywhere I look, he is. In his absence, everything, in other words, reminds me of him only. Hmm? Um, so the power of, uh, of love and separation, which is over in an overriding sense, what characterizes the Prakat Leela, where the Prakat Leela is characterized by union. So the virtues of the Prakat Leela, Prakat also means, it means the manifest or the visible Leela, but it also means Prakat means the best. So from a Sadika's point of view, obviously this is the best, as a means, and from the Siddha's point of view, it's the best also. Therefore, when Jiva Goswami uh, wrote his Gopal Champu, which is a retelling of the Prakat Leela, it's in the Aprakat Leela, and all the inhabitants are hearing the Prakat Leela retold with, with rapt attention. Hmm? There is no greater evening event than um, this event described in Gopal Champu. The retelling on the part of the bard, the minstrels, the bards um, uh, of the Prakat uh, Leela. 
So, um, so Akura Mahashai Kijai. Gopis are angry with them <laughs> on the face of things, but that's that's understandable. Um, so he's an example. Then again, as they say, someone who became perfect by prayer and prayer um, or or vandanam is to go just in a little bit detail as we come to a conclusion of the discussion here today. Um, uh, is said to be um, relative prayer, the nature of it, to the stage of one's bhakti. And this is, means sadhana bhakti is one stage or bhava bhakti as another. Hmm? So do two basic types of prayer. And in sadhana bhakti, the prayers uh, uh, that are the nature of the prayers is that they are like a prayer that's suitable for uh, in pursuit of submission uh, and surrender. This is what's uh, central to sadhana bhakti, the culture of sharanagati, that shraddha or faith corresponds with the growing of one's faith um, and the uh, erection, as I often say, of the erecting the stage, the dramatic stage of Sharanagati on which the drama of Krishna Leela is, is performed. So uh, uh, you, we find many prayers like this on the part of uh, great souls illustrating <clears throat> this, uh, the, the nature of prayers for sadhakas. Um, Jiva Goswami uh, gives an example. I, I, I always liked this verse, um, learned it as a, as a young uh, brahmachari. I can't remember, but I've written it down here somewhere. Yuvatinam yata yunam, yunam cha, yuvato yata. Manobi ramate tadban, manobi ramatam tvayi. This is a prayer that is, Jiva Goswami gives us as an example of a prayer in sadhana bhakti. Just as the minds of young women are attracted to a young man, and just as the minds of young men are attracted to young women, may my mind, Krishna, be attracted to you. You might be thinking, now this is, this is what we're talking about here. This is what we're pursuing, right? It's very easy to understand. How, without thinking about it, a young man will be attracted to a young woman and vice versa, without thinking about it. It's natural, it's spontaneous, and it may even carry on, right? Without trying, hmm? she was attractive, he was attractive. Can't forget about him. Hmm. Um, this is our material condition. What we're interested in is, um, uh, uh, similar in terms of intensity and naturalness attraction to krishna so from this we can measure our very easily very readily our standing in bhakti how we are naturally attracted to things other than bhakti in the same way just like we're attracted to our own body or attentive to its own needs without thinking about it so attentive to the service of Krishna without 
thinking about it, if it should opportunities to serve in a particular way should, should arise. We have a very nice verse. Um, and, um, and then it, it, the other division of prayer, of course, is in Bhagavad Bhakti, as I say. And um, this is characterized by, by longing. And there are prayers for that appear to be uh, prayers longing for Baba Bhakti, but are actually prayers within Baba Bhakti that are longing for a specific attainment within Baba Bhakti. So in other words, within Baba Bhakti, one's identity as, as in, in the Nitya Leela is, is apparent. And with regard to within the specifics of it, one is praying for it. So the prayers may seem to be a prayer for Baba Bhakti, but they're prayers within Baba Bhakti for a specific thing. I've written a nice verse here. Let's see. Um, of course, there are many examples of this, but um, uh, do you, I don't know where, Jeeva Goswami gave an example of, of uh, a devotee praying to Bhagwan that uh, along with his accompanied by Sri, Please be merciful to me. When will that? When will you uh, call me uh, while I'm fanning you, and say, "Please come here, come close to me." So something specific with regard to his ideal of attainment and service in the lila. Uh, typically, lala somai prayers of this nature um, um, are what we find in in Baba Bhakti. So submission and long and of course there's some overlapping especially in the higher stages of uh, sadhana bhakti and some little bit of longing should be there within all of us uh, in any stage of bhakti for um, the ideal we should know what it is theoretically and then uh, finally um, with regard to prayer uh, there are uh, of course prayers heartfelt that we can compose ourselves, but there's great power in prayers that have been uh, composed. There are prayers like Akura's prayers in the scripture, uh, Brahma's prayers, um, so on, the Nagaputni's prayers, and so on and so forth. Um, in Bhagavatam, these are called um, stotras. Hmm? And invoking them, for example, before the deity, is a very powerful form of uh, Vandanam that's very uh, um, efficacious. Uh, and then we have another type of prayers called stavas. So stavas are prayers composed by, uh, for example, devotees in our sampradaya. Hmm? Um, and they um, have particular um, ideals in mind. Um, and they can also be um, um, invoked and very powerful before the deity. Sometimes even stotrams become stavas if they're recited, like verses from the Gita, for example. This, this is this example may be given by Jeeva Goswami. Verses from the Gita that are stotram turn into stavas because they're used in a particular way by a devotee um, with a specific purpose. In the context of bhakti in mind. So these are some thoughts, and anyway, we've gone the whole hour uh, on on Vandanam 
and um, we are honored to be able to speak something about it and draw from um, what our previous acharyas have, have, uh, have, have written. Uh, that said, um, I speak about this here upon request in the context of a, 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 a I think it's a Joppa retreat um, um, coinciding with, uh, with the uh, days uh, leading to Janmashtami, beginning with Baldi Purnim a few days back. Um, and with regard to Namsan Girtan, uh, I would say, and connection to Mandan, that it should be, the names of Krishna should be chanted uh, prayerfully from the heart. Prabhupada used to once say uh, that Hare Krishna mantra was the best prayer. <laughs> so uh, it's, it, it's, 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 it's not a prayer in one sense, because you're not asking for anything. You're just invoking the name, Hare Krishna, but we're invoking it ideally. I mean, it, it is, um, in the vocative case with like to calling out Krishna. It's not just saying it, but it, there's, a, there's a feeling to it. Mm -hmm. So we're calling out, Prabhupada used to give the example of a child calling out for his, his mother, um, his, his source. It's kind of like a real basic sense, but, but important and helpful uh, to think about. Um, we invoke the name, it's, it's kind of exclamatory. Hare, it's a name for Hare. Hare, oh Hare. Uh, oh Krishna, oh Ram. Mm -hmm. um, so um, uh, I've said before, and it, it's, I think it's, I'll conclude with this, it's worth underscoring that uh, if you want to chant attentively, difficult to do because the mind wanders, then the simple solution to that is to chant from the heart. Of course, simple is not always easy, but that's our exercise. This is a heart exercise, not a mouth exercise, a tongue exercise, tongue exercise or an ear exercise. Chanting is a heart exercise. So if prayerfully, if you will, from the heart, we invoke the name of Krishna, then wherever, wherever your heart is, wherever you give your heart, that's where your mind is going to be. There's just no way around that. Hmm? So if you, if you take the time, you have time allotted for your, for your japa, for example, or Kirtan, these are, these are time, precious times to give your heart to entirely. Shut out everything else. Give your heart to that. Mind will follow naturally. And when mind is attentive, then all the, the wealth found in Krishna Nam, Guna, Rupa, uh, Lila, Parshat, all these things are found. The, 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 the form of Krishna, the name, the qualities of Krishna, the... Uh, Leelas and associates of Krishna will all become revealed in your heart. You don't have to go anywhere. It doesn't cost anything. This is very, very uh, simple, economical um, uh, way to become wealthy in the true sense of the term. Harinam Sankirtan ki jai. Sri Bandhanam ki jai. Madhavan ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai. Gaur Premanandini. Hari Any question? Sharada had a question in the chat. Um, she Ooh. was uh, Sharada. Sharada, okay. Um, she said, where is the prayer of Jiva Goswami found, the one that you cited? About the men and the women, the traction? Yeah, that's... Uh, might be that one. Yeah. 
uh, it may be uh, it may be that one. It may be found in um, in Bhakti I think Prabhupada cites in Nectar of Devotion, which is his summary study of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. But I can't remember where in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu would it be found. But Diva Goswami also cites it in Bhakti Sandarbha under the heading of Vandanam, which is the subject today, under prayers. So if you get Bhakti Sandarbha edition, there are Kindle editions of that, and you look up Vandana, then you'll find the verse there. All right? Good one to learn. Okay. Yes, I have to send Anything else? There's another question in the chat. Um, it's from Wendy. <laughs> I don't know what their initiative name is, if they have one. Um, they say, uh, sorry, I lost audio for the moment. What is the location of the verse that allows us to identify where we are on the path of bhakti? Oh, um, I think I just answered that. I, I, I said that this is a good verse to help us identify where we are in the path of bhakti, but this is only in a broad sense. The verse is talking about is praying for when will I be, may my mind naturally be attracted to you, Krishna, just like a young man's mind is attracted to a young girl or a young girl's mind is attracted to a young boy. So in a broad sense, I was saying, well, from this verse alone, we can understand where we're at, how naturally and spontaneously we're attracted hmm, uh, to a young boy or a young girl. Um, that we, our goal is to be attracted to Krishna like this. So we can see, well, in, I'm just saying in a broad sense, we can see where we are in the path of bhakti by how attracted um, we are naturally to Krishna. And, and what does that mean? Well, compare it to how naturally you're attracted to um, uh, young boys are attracted to young girls and vice versa. Um, um, it's not a verse that specifically tells us you're at this stage, you're at that stage. There are many verses for that. There's a book for that um, called Madhurya Kadambini, Madhurya Kadambini um, by Vishwana Chakravati Thakur. That goes into details of how you can understand what stage you're at. The verse I'm citing is a verse that Jiva Goswami cites in Bhakti Sandarbha under the category of Vandanam, which is what we're talking about today, prayers, this Anga praying the Anga of uh, Limb of Bhakti, um, offering prayers. But he cites it there as an example of a prayer appropriate for sadhana bhakti, hmm? longing to be attracted, if you want to call it a longing, to Krishna, petitioning Krishna, help me to become attracted to you. Uh, my pitiable condition is I'm attracted like this, to, for example, to the opposite sex, in most cases, without thinking about it. I want to be attracted like that to Krishna. I hope that answer um, clarifies what I was saying. Um, here's something from Subal to everyone. He says something in Spanish. Thunderbolt, por un lado se escucha de que que centra el mantra Hare Krishna con 
el sentimiento como el de un hijo. Oh, he says gracias, but then he says what? Puedas por favor discrimine algunas palabras. This means something like, can we please? Do you want me to translate for Maharaj? Oh, okay, and <laughs> there is something there. Well, Krishna is non-different from his name. So in that sense, he's present, right? And th this is your point. Um, so how is he absent and how are we longing for him his absence? Well, the name of Krishna is non-different from the form of Krishna. At the same time, it's said, that there's a difference between the name of Krishna and the form of Krishna in that the name of Krishna is more generous than the form of Krishna. So Krishna in the form of his name is more generous because the name comes to us despite the fact that we're ignoring the form of Krishna or we may have even offended the form of Krishna. As in the case of Brahma, he offended the form of Krishna, but he took birth as Haridas Thakur and the name stayed with him. So because the name, we chant the name of Krishna um, with a desire to experience all that's within the name. So in the name is the form of Krishna, is the are the qualities of Krishna, are the leelas of Krishna. But we have to unpack that. Um, let us say, for, let me give you another example. Let's say we have milk. Hmm? We have milk. We might have milk, but we could still long for ghee, right? Now ghee is inside of milk. It's not anywhere else. Butter is inside of milk, right? Yogurt is inside of milk. Um, but you have to do something with the milk in order to get the butter, in order, order, order to get the ghee. So, uh, everything is present in the name, but by the name comes to us in such a way that by invoking the name, we can experience the, 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 in, in, in a full sense, the presence of Krishna. <clears throat> we can experience his form, his qualities, his leelas, his associates, and enter into that leela. So when we chant the name effectively and enter into the leela, then the form of Krishna and Krishna's leelas and associates and our service there comes to the forefront and the name recedes to the background. Whereas in before we do that, the name is in the foreground and the leelas, qualities, service in the leela and so forth is in the background. So by chanting, that's <clears throat> reversed. I hope that helps. Thank you for the question. So here's another question from the doctor. 
our doctor here, Bumsi Dottie. So I guess those of us attracted to the same sex need a different prayer. <laughs> no, I, I thought I, uh, that thought came to my mind as I was explaining that. Uh, I think I said, uh, are attracted to the opposite sex or as, as may be the case. Uh, so there are those of a homosexual uh, orientation and the same remains, uh, uh, obviously. The, yeah, the implication is that just as we are, um, have a natural biological um, sexual attraction, um, sim similarly um, in this world, we pray to have a similar spontaneous and comprehensive life-defining, if you will, uh, as our sexuality does, materially speaking, um, attraction for Krishna. And it, it, I think if you understand this point, um, um, it, 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 uh, it, it's quite significant. In other words, if you, out of this, an identity will arise. Out of our sexual orientation, largely speaking, a whole identity arises, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's most central to our whole uh, existence, practically. So, uh, um, so similarly, from bhakti, as it intensifies, as our bhakti intensifies, it will produce an entire identity. A whole, a whole new identity for uh, suitable for participating in the Leela. So I, I hope that addresses your sensibilities. Bumsi Dari. Do you see where um, Shirada has a question from the Brighton Sangha? I don't yet, no. Okay, I think that she'll just ask it. Oh, um, if I scroll up, maybe I'll see it. Yeah, because she said it twice. She no. rather would like to ask a question. That's all. That's her question. Okay. <laughs> Permission granted. Hare <laughs> Krishna, Chivaraya Swami. I wanted to ask you this question that you say you feel, you know, that the separation from Krishna, we have this longing. Now, when devotees who are teaching us about Krishna, you know, like on Sunday with Madame Ham Mahimi, Fridays and Tuesday evening when we have Bhagavad when they go away, I feel a real separation. Now, it's because the separation of not uh, talking about Krishna, because I live on my own and uh, I don't have many people to share it with. My family is not into Krishna. And so is that a separation, a longing for Krishna too, in a subtle way? Yeah, sure. That's good. It's good. It's good. Um, I'll tell you, I've told this before, but it comes to mind now, and forgive me for repeating for those who've heard it more than once, but when I was a young uh, devotee, um, and uh, Prabhupada came to Los Angeles and initiated me, he stayed there for three months. In subsequent years, he would come twice a year for three months at a time, um, more or less, uh, 
uh, in the spring and in the in, in, in uh, the winter, um, two or three months. So anyway, my first experience um, living with Prabhupada in Los Angeles for three months was quite um, quite overwhelming. And one day I was told that uh, maybe it was Monday, and I was told Wednesday that Prabhupada's going to leave, and I just could not like. I couldn't, I couldn't, that just didn't fit in my head and my heart. I, I just couldn't digest that. I, I just couldn't imagine another, a morning without Prabhupada or just, just the fact that he was there in his quarters. And so he would go on a walk every morning and I would go to the door where Prabhupada would come out of the door, the back door, down the steps. And then I would jump and open the car door if I had the opportunity. And uh, in, in those times, I, those days, I wasn't going on a walk with Prabhupada. And then, uh, so then, then, I, then I would be waiting just before Prabhupada would come back and have bet the door when Prabhupada came back. And then, then I'd have to run around to the temple room to be there, right there when he came out of the door, <laughs> into the temple, you know, to pay respect to the deity and then come and sit down and, and find myself a place, you know, next to his is Vyasa san. I always had a place right, right. I managed to secure <laughs> um, next to his Vyasa san. So I, I was very att attached uh, to him. And then hearing his lecture every day and hearing something, maybe an anecdote in a day about him and so forth. Um, so when I was told that he was going to leave, I, I, I just couldn't relate to it. And I felt overwhelming. Um, feelings that, that, that for me anyway were quite uh, um, blissful and ecstatic, quite ecstatic. Uh, and so my mind, um, on my mind immediately appeared this, oh, this is what they're talking about in the books, separation. Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing that. Now you might not feel ecstatic when you go home and there's, and there's no, no classes, but uh, but um, it's a good good sign, nonetheless, if you feel separation from devotees. When Mahaprabhu asked Ramananda Roy, what is the most painful thing in the world? And he, what did he answer? He said, separation from, from devotees. Mm -hmm. So... My humble obeisances. Hare Krishna. You have given us a wonderful talk. Hare Bo. All right. Well, anything else here? Mm -hmm.